Welcome to the Center for International and Regional Studies at Georgetown University in Qatar. These podcasts are part of a research initiative titled Building a Legacy, Qatar FIFA World Cup 2022. Hello, everybody. My name is Professor Daniel Reiche, and we are welcoming today Dr. Talas Vazu Varuglu, sustainability and environmental expert at the Supreme Committee for Delivery and Legacy. We are talking with her about the sustainability concept of the FIFA World Cup 2022 and its green legacy for the state of Qatar. Thank you for joining us today, Tala. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for asking me to join. Tala, the 64 matches of the FIFA World Cup 2022 will be played in eight stadiums, with seven of them being newly built. Can you give us some insight? How eco-friendly are the new stadiums? So we're very lucky to be in a place where we have this many stadiums that are newly built um, and one that has been renovated to fit the requirements. Um, In the um, environment that we operate in, our requirement from FIFA is to have green buildings. And so, you know, the definition always is, uh, when we're in this kind of research, what does green mean? Um, And essentially in this state, it means that we have to have um, an appropriate level of sustainability certification uh, that can measure how sustainable and how environmentally appropriate the stadium, the buildings are in the environment we live in. So in Qatar, we're very lucky to have a very um, accurate and intensive process um, and a certification that is called GSAS, the global standard of um, global sustainability assessment standard um, that uh, many of the people listening in will be uh, familiar with. And usually the way that this kind of standard works is that you design your stadium in uh, making sure that you address as many sustainability aspects as you can in order to make a, a total uh, that will give you a certain kind of ranking. So it could be three star, four star, five star, or six star in the case of Jesus. And so the checking then is, it's great if you can design a stadium that takes into consideration all of these eco-friendly processes. I mean, we'll be talking about energy efficiency, water efficiency, how close you are to public transit, um, what kind of condition your site is in, uh, how is the lighting, how efficiently is it done? And so we've been extremely lucky to have this kind of support and focus on our stadium. So we've been able to achieve four and five star ratings for our design and build, um, which is actually, personally speaking, a very tough rating. And um, we're very happy that our stadiums have all achieved this standard now. Is there something like a, is there like a green champion? Is there like a green champion amongst the stadiums, like one stadium that's like, the <laughs> we have had many, um, sorry, we have had uh, a lot of internal competitions about that. And we actually used it amongst all of the contractors to try to encourage who would get more points. Um, but because we haven't finished all the stadiums yet, we can't uh, release the ranking of them. Um, but also what's also interesting is that it, it's always a different combination that can get up to, to the same t- total. Um, So it it could be that one has a different form of uh, energy savings, one could have a slightly different form of of water reuse, the calculators are quite uh, complicated. But um, one thing that we're really happy also is that we placed a lot of importance on construction methods, 
So we actually have a whole other certification uh, standard, again with GSAS, that certifies how sustainably you construct your structures. And all of our stadiums also committed to that. And so we've also achieved levels A and A plus for that. And now, um, because if you build it uh, and construct it, you still have to operate it. Uh, so we're also um, targeting having GSAS operations. Um, so that means we're operating our sustainable stadiums sustainably. And actually just very recently, we finished our first one to have completed all three of them. So Al Janoub Stadium is the first stadium to achieve all three uh, certifications and the other stadiums are on their way. So I'd like to say we've done a really good job. We've had an intensive amount of effort gone into it. Um, at any one time, we had between 40 to 60 to 80 sustainability professionals working on each stadium. Uh, so they're pretty intensive and pretty cool structures to be looking at now, knowing that they're energy efficient, they're water efficient, they protect the environment they're in. Um, they have a lot of uh, considerations for where the materials in the stadiums came from. Uh, so yes, there's a lot of factors that have gone in to say these stadiums really are uh, very cool technologically and, and very environmentally uh, friendly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you mentioned that each stadium might have like different strengths and weaknesses. I remember at That's the right. FIFA Cup where I went to a number of matches, there are some stadiums like Education City Stadium or 974 where you can go by metro and more or less the metro stop is right in front of the stadium and there are like other stadiums where you go by metro but then you also need to 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 go into a bus so of right. course then that's different and i would like to 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 talk with you about the transportation issue um so because i mean as as all major sporting events transportation is from an environmental point of view the most sensitive uh, area at the event itself because so many people come to the country and they need to go to the stadium. Now, Qatar is promising a carbon neutral World Cup. Um, could you explain us uh, and specifically talk to transportation, but also like in general, how uh, the country wants to achieve uh, this uh, goal? Yes, absolutely. So you're absolutely right. I think um, first I'll talk about the carbon neutrality goal and then I'll, I'll highlight on the transportation part. Mm -hmm. So in terms of our carbon neutral goal, um, what we have done is calculate all the emissions we have generated so far and we have estimated the, gen the amount of um, emissions we will generate in the upcoming tournament. And we have created and published our carbon inventory, which is what is kind of like the summary paper containing the totals that we will, that we are estimating we're going to generate by the time we start the tournament. So we have an idea where most of our emissions are coming from. Um, we also have in there all of the mitigation work we did in the beginning. So how much we're able to reduce um, emissions in the first place. Then we kind of know where everything is coming from and what are our uh, solutions to achieve um, carbon neutrality. So we know a lot of emissions come, for example, from accommodation, because we have a lot of people staying in hotels uh, and everyone will run water and use electricity and eat food and all of this. So we have done a program with hotels to green them and have them be more efficient. Um, a lot of our other emissions will come from the flights, of course, which is uh, unavoidable to have all the international flights to get people here. But the fact that we're a compact tournament means we're going to completely avoid people flying within cities as we would have seen in previous um, tournaments. Mm -hmm. The other um, 
uh, area of work, of course, is transportation, because we know people are need to get to the stadiums. So first, compared to other tournaments, we have shorter distances because of our compact nature. Um, but there's going to be unavoidable ones. And so, as you had mentioned, some of our stadiums are right very close to public transport. And so the metro stops will have been very close and you can get out and, and walk. Um, and then some of them will have buses. So we've even having the, the system in place that you have a metro and then a bus is still using public transit, although it might take a little longer. Um, and then also the whole, you know, when people are a little bit scared of, of traffic, then they try to find an alternative way than being stuck in their cars by themselves. So there is a lot of encouragement on carpooling um, and finding solutions so that you're not stuck in a traffic jam. Um, there are, of course, uh, taxis, and I know that there's uh, discussions about carpooling in taxis as well. Uh, and then our bus fleet in Qatar has also now a growing amount of electric vehicles. And so even the buses have become more, um, uh, more energy efficient, so less, um, less carbon emission producing. And then we have also plans in place to um, promote, uh, for example, charging a green vehicle, um, as well as um, uh, being able to, you know, the tickets will likely be part of the, the, the fan ID that you have. And as you recall in the Arab Cup, it was free to use public transit when you had your fan ID. And all of these are different methods or, or ways that you can work to diminish uh, the emissions you have. However, they are going to be unavoidable. There is no way to, emit, to diminish all of them. And so the remaining part of the carbon neutral story then, now that we know how much we have, we've tried to mitigate and eliminate what we can. The unavoidable ones are part of our carbon offset program. Um, and we are working now with actually a local organization that was uh, supported and developed. Um, its development was supported by us and this is called the Global Carbon Council. Um, and they are now in the business of kind of certifying carbon credits, finding carbon credits and being able to create offsets. Um, so half of our offsets are gonna come from them and those are on their way. And then the other half um, are going to be part of a program to purchase credits from projects around the world. Okay, so half of the carbon offsetting will be done locally? Is done by a local organization. Not all okay. of the offsets are going to be local. Um, yeah. We are trying to promote as much as we can, but we're not a very big country, which is good for a compact, but not very good for extensive project development. Um, and so this is this is how we're working. We're working towards getting a diverse portfolio. We're working on focusing and highlighting regional and local projects. So we have a couple of small local ones and a couple of bigger regional ones. Um, and of course, we want to make sure that we have quite a diverse portfolio. So we have all sorts of different kinds of offset projects. And to make sure that once the World Cup, uh, once the final of the World Cup has been played, that this is all implemented afterwards. Yes. So we will be doing um, a study after the World Cup. So all the numbers we estimated in the beginning will have the actual ones. Um, and we will be able to, um, you know, balance what the, the difference may be. Um, and then that will provide the information for the post-tournament sustainability commitment requirements. Mm -hmm. So for me personally, it's the second time I'm living in a country that's hosting the FIFA Men's World Cup 2006 in Germany. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, I'm even more excited now, I have to say, because in 2006, I was only a fan and now I'm 
a kind of a stakeholder of, of doing research on the World Cup and, and working here at Georgetown. But what I remember from 2006 is uh, this Green Goal program. And I think the mm -hmm. Germans were the first one who put so much emphasis on sustainability issues at the FIFA World Cup. Um, was this something of interest uh, for you in your work to look at the experiences of previous uh, World Cup hosts? And is there something that distinguishes what Qatar is now doing uh, from the green programs of uh, previous World Cups? Excellent question. So absolutely, before we started any of our work, what we had to check to see was what has everybody else done? So what is the baseline? And where are we starting from? Um, and so, of course, as you rightly mentioned, 2006 was the first time um, that uh, had that also like FIFA had come up with a, a green program. And since then, their team has grown, their requirements have grown, and the expectation has changed as well. So now, when you think about um, a tournament, you it's almost assumed, it's almost business as usual that there is going to be some consideration for. Um, various sustainability factors, whether it's waste or transportation or, or recycling or, or whatever is most um, appropriate to the heart um, of where the event is being held. So we looked at all the previous World Cups to see what they had contributed um, and what kind of uh, reporting had been done, what kind of successes, and also what were the lessons learned. I think this is one of the key issues that we have is it's great to write um, uh, you know, what you'd like to do, but actually what has been done is the biggest lesson. Um, so why weren't we able to achieve everything we, we wanted to do? Where were the things we could have done differently? And what were the things that were perhaps not reasonable? So when we first started the tournament, like even before, so if you, if you trace back to 2010, when we won the bid, the bid document already had very ambitious sustainability goals. So at the time when we had committed to be a carbon neutral tournament and have green buildings for all of our stadiums, that wasn't the usual tone of voice or it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't standard business as usual in this part of the world. You know, sustainability was still new. Um, the, the whole uh, knowledge base wasn't as advanced then as it is now. And so at the time it was a very big commitment. So now we see more and more uh, tournaments or organizations or agencies committing to carbon neutrality and reductions of 20-30% depending on their commitment. Um, but I think I'd like to say that our inspirational goals were set quite early and having the differences that we had uh, an incredible amount of support from senior leadership to make it happen. And we've been very lucky that we can work within that kind of boundaries to be able to make all of this change. So that, you know, it's, that's what I'd like to say in terms of like timing and the, the things that we were able to achieve. I think another key factor that was a big difference in the, in the goals is that because we had extra time to start earlier, by the time that FIFA had finished the Russian World Cup, we already had our own host country sustainability strategy um, and we already had planned what we were going to do. Um, and so when, when FIFA's uh, focus came back, uh, we were able to decide that actually it didn't make sense for everybody to have their own sustainability strategy. Um, and for the first time, we created a joint sustainability strategy between FIFA, Q22, which is the local organizing committee and ourselves as SC and the host country representatives. So this was, I think, actually truly sustainable because it was integrating everybody's um, requirements and intentions and aspirations into a plan of action 
that everyone would work together to commit to uh, deliver. Mm -hmm. So, so you think, already yeah. explained to us that a lot of the uh, offsetting uh, projects will be abroad. So let's look at Qatar specifically. And from a sustainability perspective, what would you say after the tournament is over, how will Qatar also benefit in the long run from, from the World Cup in the domain of uh, the environment? Very good question. Uh, and I think that I think that it could be done in a few ways. So first of all, we have now conducted several major construction projects uh, um, in the sustainability language and requirements and contractual uh, experiences. And so now we have a very well aware uh, experience set in the country of knowledge of markets of uh, materials um, and all of the requirements that we had put in place have changed the way that the country thinks about construction waste recycling, has changed the way that uh, best practices have now been issued um, for, for little things like dust management and construction waste, as I've mentioned. Um, and I think that what is left behind also, because you know this isn't the only tournament that's going to happen. Qatar has a, a very long-term goal and in sports, coming up. And so we already have this very aware and experienced uh, group of professionals that can continue that work. Uh, so we're not starting from scratch. Um, but also I think the, the markets have changed, the understanding of all the contractors have changed, uh, and even the materials that you find in the country has changed to be able to uh, participate in developing this in a sustainable world. So I think that actually the knowledge transfer has been a very big uh, benefit to the country. Um, mm -hmm. And also, you know, now we have these amazingly sustainable and efficient stadiums that we can operate. And so as we move into the rest of the tournaments that Qatar is going to host and hopefully more, um, we've already, you know, the baseline is already different than it was before. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much, Tala. Maybe my, my last question following up on this a bit is... Um, Qatar pledged last year to a very ambitious goal to reduce mm -hmm. its greenhouse gases by 25% until 2030. So what can be learned from everything that has been done now for the World Cup? And uh, as an environmental expert, what do you suggest as uh, next steps to achieve this uh, ambitious goal of 25% greenhouse gas reduction? Your questions are so good, Daniel. <laughs> um, so, so I think that I think that there's not one thing, right? And I think there has to be a lot of different people um, and different organizations and different institutions working together to achieve this goal. Um, we have rather large industries here that are already, you know, quite efficient. Um, and have already state-of-the-art technologies for carbon emission reductions and, and efficiency measures. So I think that industry has to work um, to you know, improve itself. I think institutions have to make carbon uh, just a part of their everyday language. Um, people have to also make changes um, in your personal life, about the way that you move and the way that you take into account uh, your own emissions. Um, so I think, yeah, I think it's definitely multi-level approach. I don't think there is one specific change that can be done, um, but I think it definitely is uh, more communication, more impact, more collaborations, uh, and more action to be able to get there in time. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Thank you. That was fantastic, Tala. Thank you very much for being with us today.
And uh, for everybody who is uh, interested in uh, sustainability, uh, we also had a, a blog by a representative of uh, the uh, NGO Sustainable Qatar on um, the topic, um, how the World Cup impacts sustainability in Qatar, which challenges remain after the tournament. So maybe you're interested to check this out. Thank you very much for your time uh, today, Tala, and all the best for you personally and professionally. Thank you, and the same to you and your teams. Thank you very much for having me.